Good morning. I count it a privilege to be here today in front of you and uh, pray this would be an encouragement and, and very practical for us all. If you want to turn, open in your Bibles to Ephesians 6, familiar passage, Ephesians 6. For most of us, our greatest focus in all the world is ourselves. If we're honest, particularly in the Western world, we spend most of our time and most of our money on earth striving to be healthy and wealthy and increasing our collection of things that help us to become more comfortable here on earth. Our sin nature drives us not to serve others, but to serve ourselves first. If I was to ask you this, what does your calendar show? And what does your bank statement show is most important to you? God has put us on this earth for a specific purpose. It's to live for him and to point others to him. As Pastor Nate said, we're going to be preaching through our church covenant, if you've got one of these. We're on number four and five here. We encourage you to grab one off the table if you get a chance, even after the service. Our covenant sets before us the biblical commitments. I will bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord such as may be under my care, and I will seek the salvation of the unconverted. God wants us to bring up our children in the gospel and also share the gospel with the lost. So in Ephesians 6, where you are, starting in verse 1, familiar passage, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we'll, we'll continue with the same template that Pastor Nate's been using. First, we want to make sure that, that we realize that our church covenant, and if you're not familiar with this, is this is a, a covenant that members of Omaha Baptist covenant together to uphold, as long as you're a member here. But it's not just a man-made document that we picked out of the sky. We want to show that it's biblical in its root. So the biblical commitment that God wants to keep the gospel first at your home. In the passage here in Ephesians 6, we see that raising children is broken down into a couple categories, discipline and instruction. If I was to ask you which one of you desires to be disciplined, who here has ever said, yay, I get to be disciplined today? I'm going to assume no one. My younger brother was the only one who was never disciplined in our home. <laughs> Because he's sinless is what he would say. That's not the case. <laughs> the desire not to be disciplined is nothing new, though. We see this all the way back to the garden. It's rooted in our very sin nature. If this wasn't the case when Adam and Eve fell in sin and Adam was confronted, he wouldn't have immediately turned to blame his wife, Eve. And he certainly wouldn't have deflected to blame God for making Eve. So knowing that discipline is not generally enjoyable and it, uh, it's not something we desire to have, is it negative and should be avoided at all costs? In Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, verse 11, we read a verse that would, would clear that up for us. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We see the negative. But, as we continue, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
So what this proper discipline yields, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Take notice as well the link between discipline and training. Right living is something that's trained into a person through the process of discipline. It's not something that they just organically have when they come into this world. They have quite the opposite. So here we can see how by continually pointing our children to Christ, and when we bring them under the authority of God's word, we're training them in a life through the lens of the gospel. If you look at Ephesians 6 again, we see that it addresses both parties at the home, both the children and the parents. For the sake of time, we won't tackle the children's side of things, but it does start with children. And children, I would just say this, that, that by honoring your parents, whether you see them as honor-worthy or not, you are honoring the Lord who put them in that position of authority. Though it speaks to both, both uh, children and parents, fathers specifically are pointed out in, in verse 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers are held responsible for leading the charge in the home, just as Adam was specifically addressed in Genesis 3. Though Eve was the first one to sin, God said, Adam, where are you? Fathers are called to discipline their children, but not in a way that causes anger and resentment. The purpose of discipline, and when God disciplines us, it needs to be restorative in nature and never done in anger. It's been said, and this stuck with me when I heard this, I thought, is this not true? It's been said that in a home, if you have all rules with no relationship, you end up with rebellion. But if you have a home that has all relationship with no rules, you end up creating resentment. A father's discipline needs to be carried out in the context of a loving relationship where you have a relationship, but also the clear expectation of what God's word calls us to do. If you find yourself disciplining your child as a hypocrite, doing something that, asking them to do something that you wouldn't do or, or, or not modeling it before them, you will provoke your children to anger. But it's not just discipline, there's also, it speaks to us in Ephesians about the instruction also in home. So gospel instruction we want to bring in home. Um, I realize that many of you here don't have children, or maybe your children are now out of the home. It's important uh, to think of this call in our covenant not limited only to the child-parent relationship. The exhortation is much broader than that. I think the, the word it uses here is... Such may be under my care. It could refer to our relationship uh, for Christ with virtually any relationship that we have. Other people looking to us, whether to raise them physically or, or even in the spiritual sense. If you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy 1.5, I think we see a really interesting illustration of this, how it's played out in Scripture. So 2 Timothy 1.5 Paul speaking to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's father is not even in the picture. We're not sure. We're not told why. We don't know what happened to him, but his, his mother, pardon me, his grandmother, Lois, stepped into the gap and has played a part in Timothy being brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
The Apostle Paul also played a huge part in training Timothy without a father in the picture. Both the books, 1st and 2nd Timothy, are letters from Paul to this young pastor, training him in the way he should go, just as a parent would, would train a child. Paul shows his, his heart towards Timothy by referring to him as his true child in the faith. So whether you've got biological children or, or not, we're all called to provide gospel instruction to those that may be under our care. There is, however, special onus on parents bringing the gospel into their own home. You'll notice when we read Ephesians 6 that it's not... It's, it's parent-child language used. It's not Sunday school teacher child used or pastor child or government child. It's, it's parent-child. God's design is for a father and a mother to raise their own children and pointing them to the Lord as their, as their primary responsibility, not a responsibility they pass off to somebody else. So if I was to ask these questions, are you modeling the gospel at home before your children? Actions speak louder than words. If I was to ask your children what they see in your home, what would they tell me? Do your children know the gospel? Ask them to explain the gospel to you. And then, and then check, is it on point or is there things they're confused about? This is a great question to, to expose whether we understand what that gospel actually is. It's quite possible that you can be here thinking you know it and, and don't or, or believing some kind of version of a false gospel that's skewed. When somebody sinned against in the home, does the gospel that saved you shape how you respond to that? Do our kids, when they sin against each other, does the gospel speak into that relationship? Does it speak into how we correct that behavior? Does the gospel come up regularly in your conversation at home? If the gospel is the lens that we want to give our children to see the world, then it should be commonplace in our conversations. So meditate on those questions as we move on. God doesn't just want us to keep the gospel first at home. He wants us to keep the gospel first in all of our relationships. You can flip over to Matthew 28. Very familiar passage, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16 is where we'll start. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here, God clearly calls us to go make disciples. If you're a follower of Christ here today, I'm assuming that you agree that making disciples is a clear teaching of Scripture, and you agree that we should be doing it. The million-dollar question is, are we doing it? We'll get to some of the reasons why we don't do it and the reasons that threaten us in a minute, but uh, let's look at first what a disciple is. The Greek term for disciple in the New Testament is mathetaeus. I'm no Greek scholar, but we're going with that. Which basically means student or learner, but a disciple is also a follower. 
someone who adheres completely to the teaching of another, making them his rule of life and conduct. So if you're a disciple of Christ, or if you're to make disciples of Christ, a Christ follower is someone who is, adheres completely to the teachings of Christ, making Christ his rule of life and conduct. So how do we make disciples? Well, in verse 19, we read that we're commanded to go. We're not told that potential disciples will come and find us and seek us out. No, the disciples were charged with the command to go. Don't just sit around and wait for this to happen. Go. And if you're familiar with your, the start of the church in the book of Acts, this wasn't something that they were super keen on doing until they were more or less forced to do that through persecution. I was thinking of an illustration of this, and I was meeting with a young man once who was of the age that he'd finished school and was in the workforce now. And he explained to me that he was desiring to find a godly woman, which is a noble desire. So I said, well, how's that going? And um, wasn't going well. So I said, well, what, what are you doing to make this happen? Nothing, just crickets. So I said, well, you realize the chances of a godly woman coming to your house, breaking in, coming into the basement, interrupting your video games, tapping you on the shoulder and introducing yourself it's not real high. <laughs> so maybe it would be smart if you went, go, and did something. Took some initiative to find a godly woman. And uh, it's the same with evangelism. There is times where the Lord and his providence will literally draw people in our lap. But generally speaking, we, it has to be something that we're willing to, to do, to go, a desire that's got to come from within. Second, we don't need to go. We need to make sure that we're pointing people to Christ and not to ourselves. It seems obvious that, that this is the case, but it's something that we often miss the mark on. We might feel the pressure of, of, of closing the deal, so to speak, as if uh, you're a salesman on a sales call and you've got to, got to close the deal and make that sale. But if we're to make disciples of Christ, we just need to show them Christ. So how do we do that? If... If you want to turn Romans 10, we'll be going through this a little bit here. 10, 17, where's where we'll start, and then we'll step back a bit. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if somebody's to come to saving faith, they need to first hear the word. Not my words, not the words of Greg and, and whatever clever thing I can say, but, but God's word. So that's, that's 10, 17, but if we were to back up a few verses... Let's look at the context of, of what Paul's saying here. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. You notice the Great Commission language here, that going to all nations, both Jew and Greek, everybody. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So we need to point them to the only thing that can pierce their heart, the heart of any sinner, it's God's word. And the only thing that pierces that is the, 
the sword of the spirit. And, and this verse has already come up in, in previous messages, but Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Give the people the word of God and let God's word do the work. But God doesn't just say, go make disciples. He says to teach the disciples. So the Lord, if the Lord in his mercy does open the eyes of somebody that, that we're uh, evangelizing, even if that's our own children or somebody outside of the home, in so many ways the work is just getting started. This idea of teaching is an ongoing interaction, right? In verse 20, it reads, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is only possible through ongoing fellowship, doing life together. Remember, I said, if it's not like the salesman who's closing the deal and then on to the next deal, if that's not what it is, think of it more like a, a journeyman apprenticeship relationship. A relationship where you're bringing somebody along, somebody new in the faith, to come and do life together. You're modeling before them what it is to live for Christ and the way that they should go. If you're doing this properly, you should be able to do as Paul did, that's what Paul was doing with Timothy, and should be able to say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So it's a biblical commitment, but if we move on, it's also a, a very threatened commitment. So, we see this commitment threatened in our own home as far as raising our children in the Lord. We can all be very guilty of just assuming that our children will just organically come to Christ sort of by living with us, maybe coming to church. Maybe you generally just hang around most of the time with Christian people and you might figure that, that is, that's good enough. If you want to turn with me to the Old Testament, passage you're probably less familiar with, Judges, Judges 2. We'll see a, a sobering account here of why this isn't the case. So the Jewish people have, have, have God's people have just come into the, the land and they've, the land that he miraculously gave them, the promised land and the generation, the first generation has, is coming to an end. We pick up in verse 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had sent all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age 110. Now if we jump down to verse 10, we read these sobering words. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So we see in one generation, the people of God, God's chosen people, went from, from following the Lord and seeing him work in, in unbelievably miraculous ways and bringing them into the promised land to not even knowing the Lord or even recognizing the work that he had done. I know when I read that, I was just thinking, how is that even possible? There's probably lots of reasons of why this is possible, and, and this speaks to our own home. There's probably lots of reasons why our kids can be in the same place that God's people were there. Let's just look at a couple of them. First off, I thought, in my, again, my own life, what are the things, it's just, the first thing I thought of, it's just easier not to. Like, parenting is, is hard work. 
Life is busy. Parenting is hard. Being intentional in your parenting and, and takes discipline of yourself. And none of us like to discipline ourselves. It's sometimes easier to discipline somebody else. And if you're like me and you've worked all day and you come home, the last thing you probably feel like doing is having intentional gospel conversations um, with your wife and kids. That's probably at war with your own sloth. Um, it's just easier maybe to turn your brain off and turn the TV on. And I think we can, we can feel like, maybe like the Israelites did when they got into the land finally, that like, the worst is behind us. God's been good, let's get comfortable and, and mail it in. But when we do that, we fail to notice that if we're not intentionally teaching our kids, like, don't be deceived, somebody else is. Somebody else is going to fill that gap. Joshua obviously felt that generation obviously assumed that, that their children would just learn through osmosis being around them that they would learn what it was to follow God. And, and they did learn through osmosis. The scripture tells us that, but they didn't learn from mom and dad. They learned from the pagans around them. They learned to worship Baal instead of the living God. I think another threat we have to this, and again, I'm speaking to myself in this, is we're just too distracted. We live in a world that's never had more distractions. This this. Smartphone alone has the ability to, to take our complete attention at any time. Funny cat videos, need I say any more? <laughs> My wife and I often talk about just how different it is as we're looking to raise kids now when we grew up. And uh, I know there's people here with greater hair than me, but we had no TV or TV with three channels that were all fuzzy. No stores were open on Sunday. The stores that were open closed at five o'clock. And I could go on, and now my, my smartphone alone allows me to watch more videos than I could watch in an entire lifetime, even if I wanted to. I can buy whatever I want from all over the globe and have it delivered to my door in a day or less. The, the battle for our focus on, on, on being intentional in anything in the Lord, especially parenting, is, is real and it's not going away. And, and the next generation is going to face it in a way even more difficult than ours. So... It's an, I think it's also important, though, too, that some of the distractions that we have as far as being an intentional parenting, and keep in mind when I'm talking parenting, again, this could be discipling somebody that's not your own child, that, that some of the stuff that's, that's at war with us can be good things. We can be distracted doing all kinds of good things for, for people or, or even pouring into other people at the very neglect of, of our own children and our, and our wives. I think the, the law of spec principle in Matthew 7, where, where we're to make sure to get the giant two by four out of our eyes before we remove the speck out of our brother's eyes, to make sure that, that we're pouring into our, our family at home. If you're a father in particular, that's your primary goal, to be pouring in at home and, and not busy fixing everybody else's problem and, and neglecting your own children. I think you see this, unfortunately, in a lot of pastors' kids who resent the church I think because dad was never around busy helping everybody. So it's, it's something that's real, not just for pastors. Another thing that, that causes real war in this area is, is parents not being on the same page. And this is a particularly hard one. And I'll be sensitive here because I know there's lots of people here that um, 
that have unsaved spouses. But you can have, we can even be both saved parents at home and we can be just biblically unaware or maybe unconvinced that the scripture uh, has much direction in this area. If this is you and you're not certain what the scripture says about parenting, there's more than just Ephesians that are brought up here. We're actually currently in table time, so after the service we're, we're doing a parenting class and this is our third time through it. It's not our own class that I dreamt up, don't worry. It's, it's a paltry parenting class, but it's speaking specifically about the heart of the situation. So the heart of the child, which is, which is desperately lost, can only be saved through the gospel. And it's a 10-week video series, and it's, it's been fantastic in growing uh, my own understanding of what it is to be a parent. And my wife and I talk about how it would have been great to, to have watched this 17 years ago. But I would encourage you to do that. If, if you're a saved you know, couple here, put the time in and grow in your understanding of this. And the Bible's not silent in the air of parenting, so treat it, treat it as such and pour some time into it. But it's possible too that there's, there's friction at home because your spouse isn't a believer, and I know that's a lot of people here. And maybe you deeply want to raise your kids in the gospel, but your, your, your spouse is pushing against that. And there's obviously no quick fix, easy answer here. Your, your first priority is to, f to pray for the salvation of your lost spouse. That, that's the heart of the issue right there now. And I know there's many of you that have been doing that for years. So continue to do that. But I think what, what can be more difficult even than praying for a lost person for years is particularly in a home, is living in a way that points them to Christ on a daily basis. So you're, to model that devotion to Christ in a kind way before them, First Peter 3, this is speaking of wives, but First Peter, Peter 3, 1, calls on believing wives to live in a godly fashion so that their lost husbands might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So you can't change the heart of your spouse um, by, by will, but you can obviously pray for them and, and it just as importantly model Christ before them. So those were some threats as far as raising our kids and the Lord, but let's look at some threats now of evangelism. And again, this can be evangelism in your own home. It doesn't have to be outside of your own home, but I'm going to pause for a second and my, my purpose here is not to guilt anybody that's never shared the gospel. Um, and confess in my own life, probably the first 20 plus years of my Christian walk, I failed horribly in this area. And it wasn't because I didn't believe hell was real or, or that I didn't believe that, that, that people were dying and meeting their maker, so to speak, or I didn't believe that, that they were going to get a second chance. I knew none of that was, was true. And if I was to be honest uh, with myself, and maybe you guys can relate, somebody here, but what was driving my lack of performing the Great Commission was, was wrapped up in a word fear. I had fear of lots of things, fear of rejection, um, fear of sounding stupid, um, fear of saying something wrong, fear of, of not having all the answers when somebody comes back at me. And I think if I was to wrap those all up in, in one fear statement, it would, it would be this, it was a general fear of, of man. You can relate to any of these, be encouraged as I was in, in Hebrews 13, 
verse 6, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So these are, it's also a, a practical commitment that we want to make. It's, it's easy to talk about these things on a, on a hypothetical or arm's reach um, way, but let's look at a few ways that we can practically do these things. Knowing that, that the only thing that's naturally going to happen if we just sort of mail it in and wait, wait for it to happen is, is just sin. That's what comes natural to us. So if we're not going to do that, we need to, to pursue something different. So in, in the home, we start by actively and actually practicing restorative discipline. I think as, as a parent myself, my son just turned 17 and the years have gone by fast. I think in our in our nature we can we can easily just discipline uh, just because the, you know they've embarrassed me or they should honor me so I'm going to lay the hammer down, and this comes out in the parenting class. The purpose of discipline is is restorative in nature. There does need to be discipline, but it's always to bring the kids back to God's law, not not Dad's law. Dad only has an authoritative position because God's given me that position within my own home. Hebrews twelve six. It reads, the Lord disciples the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Contrary to what our, our world would say, we need loving discipline. And that's why the Lord disciplines us. If we didn't need it, he wouldn't do it. We need to spend time together in the word and prayer. This might look different in different homes. Maybe bedtime is what works for you. Maybe it depends the age of your kids. I know, I know for us, and even growing up, it was, uh, it was best modeled around the supper table. But in order to do that, you'd have to share meals together, and it would have to be uninterrupted with cell phones off and away. And uh, this can be a, a setting that hopefully becomes natural, where, where everybody around the table, kids and mom and dad, can share struggles of, of that day or the week, whatever it is, victories, um, Questions. I think one of the, the big lies is, as a parent, if we're looking at parenting, uh, we need to be the boss and, and need to make sure that we're rock solid and everybody else listens to us, is, is we, we believe the lie that if we confess our own failures to our kids or ask for forgiveness or repentance when we sin against them, that somehow that's going to, to lower our standard of authority with them. And it's quite the opposite. It's, it's, it's showing that we can relate to them as sinners and it's showing that, that we are sinners too. And, and, and more times than not, it's going to bring our kids into a place where they're comfortable now sharing, or maybe they wouldn't have before. Another one is, is play the long game. So meaningful change is not going to happen generally in an instant. Right? If you think of parenting, right? this is when they're, when they're one and two, you're just trying to survive and get through the night. And... And as it moves along and time goes by fast, right, it's a progress. They're going to be exposing your kids to new things and having deeper conversations. But your kid's not going to change in a day. And I think of my own testimony and ask yourself, did, did you change in a day? Are you, are you still changing? Or was it, was it just a one-day thing and then you, you figured it all out and carried on? But pray for God's grace to do this. It's, it can be exhausting in the day-to-day -day moments, especially in parenting and and one of the things that comes up in parenting class when our kids act out, even if young or old, in our nature, we generally just want that to have not happened or to stop. Um, 
We need to use those and view those as opportunities to speak Christ back into those moments. So when our kids sin and, and act out, God's giving us another opportunity to, to point into their lives. Don't, don't waste those opportunities, but pray for God's grace because there's a new one coming tomorrow. In evangelism, how do we do this? How do we practically get off the bench, so to speak? Well, first off, you can't share what you don't have. Have you trusted in Christ? Is he Lord of your life? If you're not certain that you're saved or you know that you're not, that's where that's got to start. You can't share the gospel in a way and model it before somebody if you're not saved yourself. I think one of the things that, that's been helpful for me is practicing and preaching the gospel to yourself. When doubts come in, I listed some of the fears that I had in, in not sharing it in my younger years. I needed to remind myself of what saved me and preach that to myself. So when the accuser is accusing me or in my ear or telling me all these lies, I need to defend that with the gospel and God's word and preach it to myself. And you need to actually take some of the opportunities that the Lord gives you and, and don't be crippled by the ones you, you missed. Kind of like parenting, you're going to miss opportunities, but there's going to be another one tomorrow. So you don't have to wallow in the self-pity of what you left behind. One of the things uh, that I uh, had heard lots in my younger years was uh, preach the gospel always and if necessary use words. And people generally use that and, and take it and be like, I don't need to do anything. I just need to walk around like a nice person and people will come to Jesus. Um, you actually need to share the gospel with the words. People can't understand unless you share it. But you also, your, your life should match your words. So you need to both share the gospel and your life has to reflect the gospel. But faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, as we read. So you actually need to give the word to people. In order to do this, you're going to have to rub shoulders with, with unbelievers. Um, some of you, this is not an issue. Um, and some of you maybe really struggle with this. If we're to, to go into all the nations, we actually need to go. Um, this would start in your own home and your neighborhood and, and maybe work out from there. But we're all missionaries. You, you don't have to go overseas to be a missionary and that's where God's work is done. God's work is done right in our own home. One of the other things that was helpful for me is just this idea of, of planting seeds. You don't necessarily need to share the entire gospel cover to cover the first time you meet somebody all the time. Uh, that's not realistic a lot of times. But you are planting the seeds and you pray for an open door to walk through. So some of that that practically helped me was just saying things in a different way. So instead of, hey, how are you doing? And good. It's like, God's been good. What did you do this week? I know I had a great time. I was at church. You know, saying some things that would might actually, it's amazing when people are like, church, you go to church? God, what? I don't believe in God. Right? It's just little things that you can, because if that's your heart and you're not doing it, you know, trying to set a trap. It's just being like, did you enjoy being with God's people this weekend? Then, then share that to the lost. They asked you how your weekend was. God was good. Do that. And, and put the seeds out there and see what comes of it. Like parenting, you're going to have to play the long game. Again, generally speaking, it's a process for somebody to come to Christ. The Lord in his mercy sometimes does a Saul to Paul moment, but a lot of times it's a long time 
So give them the word, model it before them, and pray, and be patient, and, and maybe remind yourself of how patient others were with you, or continue to be, and how patient God was with you. And then be faithful. Some plant, some water, but God alone gives the increase. I was thinking of an illustration of this, and if you don't know, I'm, a, I'm in the construction industry, I'm a contractor, and I've, I've worked in people's homes primarily, do residential work for, for over 20 years now. Um, it's provided me a unique perspective on people's lives and, and how they live. But if you're like me, and self-employed, like I've got to be driven. If I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. So I can be very goal-oriented and be in somebody's home and just work and hard. And the Lord used COVID to sort of pump the brakes on me a bit because for the first time being in people's homes, there was a different weight in the home. My job of building a wall or fixing a wall or whatever, the Lord put some breaks on that because I had people coming to me. I had lots of times, I can tell you stories of forever, of literally walking in the door, holding my tool bag, and I couldn't even set it down. And they're like, what do you think of this? Can you talk to us? Will you, will you have coffee with us? And because I was deemed to be essential, I, I was allowed to be there. But people wanted to talk. And, and some people were angry, some were scared, everywhere in between. But I had to put the, the literal building of the wall and put it on the back burner and realize that, that the wall wasn't eternal, um, that the wall didn't have a soul, that the person in front of me did. And there was an opportunity that the Lord was giving me in a fresh way day after day after day to speak to them. And not everybody, you know, I wasn't able to share the gospel with everybody, but there was way more opportunities than there ever had been before. And whether you're working outside the home like I am or working in the home, I'd ask you this and I need to ask myself these questions as, as people kept wanting to talk. Was I willing to take the time to speak with them as much time as it needed or was I too busy doing everything else, building walls, whatever it else, whatever your, your day to day looks like at the expense of what really mattered in that moment, which was the soul in front of me. Fourthly, this is a grace-required commitment. Again, you need to put the effort in, but, but God's, we need God's help and grace to do it. As we've already mentioned, that parenting is a daily opportunity to pour into lives what you're going to drop the ball. Don't be discouraged. There's another opportunity. And you're not parenting on your own strength. You're, you're, you're given the Holy Spirit or given the God's Word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we also have the body of Christ as well. And I would ask, are you leaning on some of the, uh, I'll say it nicely, more mature people in the audience? I could say old, but I won't. In Job 12.12, 12, it says, Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in the length of days. There's certain things that you only gain through years lived or you gain in a deeper understanding. So are, are you utilizing people around you that have maybe had parent, their kids come and go already or their grandparents now? Or are we just striving on our own to do it? You know, are you plugging into your body? Are you involved in, in some of the things we have from Bible reading to table time to, to you know, uh, accountability partners, things like that? 
we, we do ourselves a disservice by trying to, to do it on our own. And that's what Satan would want us to do is, is to be a lone ranger. And that's not what we see modeled in scripture. And I think of some of the advice we got from our own parents and, and I think of the years and struggles we would have, would have had if we wouldn't have just had parents that pointed us to the Christ, to Christ and, uh, and, and took that time. But we have to also listen to that advice. In evangelism, it also needs a lot of grace in this. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But God is so gracious and merciful. We know that he can use a, a donkey to speak his message if he desires, but, but in his kindness, he uses us. Um, I think uh, Gorgeous read in, in Psalms about the account of, of God's people being rescued and some of the things that the Egyptians went through, but it's important to back up a little bit and think of some of the excuses that Moses, this, this great father of the faith that was, was used in a mighty way, that when God told him that he was going to be the vessel for what God used to, to rescue his people, think of some of the things that he said and, and ask yourself at least some of the things that you might have said when it comes to evangelism. I'm not the right person for the job. I wouldn't have all the answers. People certainly aren't going to listen to me. I'm not good at speaking. Somebody else can certainly do a better job. Regardless of his excuses, God chose Moses in a mighty way. And not because he was the most qualified, he certainly wasn't. But God was using Moses not to point people to Moses. He was using Moses to point people to the Lord. Moses was just there to a vessel to point people to the great I am. So be encouraged. Like the Lord encouraged Moses, he didn't have all the answers. He just was, we're just here to point people to the one that does have all the answers. So ultimately rest in the fact that only God can do the hard work of our kids and only God can change the heart of those you have an opportunity to share the gospel with. I give an illustration of this and how we can get off track of it in, in 1 Corinthians 6 where there's a, a debate among the people about, about who they're following. Ephesians, pardon me, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 4, we pick up. For one, one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Our fifth reality is this is a gospel-driven commitment. The gospel itself must motivate and drive us to, to bring our, our children up in the Lord. And there's nothing else that is going to sufficiently fuel it. Our, we, I think we'd all agree we want our kids to walk on the narrow road. The broad road leads to destruction. We certainly don't want that, but we, our kids can't walk on the road unless they, the Lord changes their hearts, unless they are saved. We can spend countless hours correcting external behavior and again, getting our kids to obey and being nice and quiet and, and look pretty in the corner. But if the heart's not changed, there's no lasting change. And when it comes to the gospel, 
So evangelism needs to be driven by a single commitment that, that the power is in the gospel. Another familiar passage here, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. The gospel alone changes lives, not the perfect presentation of the gospel or the perfect life. Jesus is the only one who had the perfect life. So we just point people to the good news of the gospel and we show them, we show them Christ. Lastly, in, in conclusion, we want to make the three applications we've made in, in the other weeks too. First off, we want to we live it. So God expects us to live this out. Now maybe you feel like there's a, a mountain in front of you and in your home there's just a thousand changes that would have to be made in order for you to, to have a home that's a gospel-driven home. Maybe if evangelism, you think, oh, I've never talked to anybody about Jesus, so, like, what's the point? Nobody's expecting you to write a parenting book tomorrow, and nobody's expecting you to wake up and be Billy Graham. Um, I would implore you and encourage you and come alongside you to just encourage you to take the next right step, to, to just do something. So maybe that's, that's tuning into to the parenting class. Maybe that's coming along somebody um, that you know is, is evangelistic and, and asking how, what helped them. Maybe that's just being in your Bible more and, and getting to understand who the Lord is in a deeper way before you can go and share that with others. Secondly, we, we to pray it. Pray for wisdom and patience when it comes to parenting and, and discipling, whether that's inside or outside of the home. And then also pray for opportunities. Uh, that might be terrifying if you're praying for opportunities to parent with your children um, because they usually come up on those opportunities on their own. Um, but remember, again, it's not about closing the deal in evangelism or, or even talking to our kids. It, it's a discipleship thing. It's something where we're coming alongside and we're, we're pointing to the Lord. Thirdly, let's, let's strive to make it contagious. Share your, I encourage you to share your progress and your struggles with brothers in Christ. Um, we're not meant to parent alone. We're not meant to disciple alone. Um, we need to challenge and encourage one another. If the Lord's done a work in somebody that you know and, and, and the Lord's used you, share that with somebody as an encouragement. I think of some of the the most contagious evangelists I know are, were just normal guys I knew, tradesmen. They weren't necessarily pastors or anything, they were just normal guys. And I was spending time with them and hearing them or, or watching from front row seat them share the gospel with somebody. And I, it brought me back to me, well, if they can do that, I, I can do that. We're both saved. We're brothers in Christ. And uh, it, was, it was inspiring to me and encouraging. In conclusion, God has given us a huge responsibility to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And to share the gospel with the lost. But he, he hasn't left us. That can seem really daunting. He hasn't left us alone in our own strength. We, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And we have the sword of the Spirit before us. And, and take comfort that you can't and you're not expected to, to change anybody. We can't do that. We're only called to point our kids to Christ. To model it before them. To plant seeds. To water 
but be encouraged that the Lord is the only one that brings 